good morning. How's everybody doing? You guys ready? Hey, I want to say what a blessing it has been to be here together and to see what God's doing. And, um, you know, honestly, it's because we have a very generous church that we're able to make this transition and be working on the building. So I just want to say really a special thank you, uh, you know, from me and my staff and our team for your faithful tithing. For those of you especially who automate your giving, we like to say like we automate the importance. So thank you to everyone who does that. You can go online. I think it's, we might even have a slide. Oh, there it is. I might be blocking it whatever it is, but uh, banner.church slash give and forgiving. And it's really cool what, what the Lord is doing in this new season. We've been working uh, just with architects and permitting. People are like, hey, where are we at at the building? And usually I have to kind of explain a good portion of a building project is permitting. <laughs> so we're, we're in that phase as a church, but there's small things we're going to start and you'll see some demo days coming up. So if you have like an HGTV bug, maybe we'll get you out there in a hard hat and, you know, have you signed a waiver? I don't know. I don't know how binding those are, but we'll get you out there. But we're really excited uh, for the future and what uh, the Lord is doing. I, I want to jump into some things today, and I'm going to encourage you that at the end of service, we're going to spend some time praying together. So in your mind, just like commit to the idea that we're going to spend some time at the end of the service building community through prayer. Sorry, I'm trying not to sniffle into this. I got allergies going to this morning you move stuff enough as a church you get some dust right yeah. oh my goodness it gets me but uh, I want to begin by praying today I'm going to launch into some some things that we're going to talk because we're going to talk about cultivating community so let's pray together Lord God I just thank you for the chance to be here together we thank you for your word I pray as we walk through your word this morning that you would just reveal truth to us and that we wouldn't just be informed, but we would be transformed by your word. So Holy Spirit, we just say, move upon us even now in this moment, your name, amen. I wanna tell you right now that I love phones and, and messages and taking notes and using them for your Bible. This might be the hardest message to have your phone out in because I'm gonna talk a lot about it. So if you use your phone for notes or the Bible, just know if we make eye contact when I'm making a point, I'm not talking about you and I'm not putting you down, but just know I'm gonna say some things about technology that you're not gonna wanna hear, but your soul has desperately wanted to hear because they're important. I, uh, I have a personal fascination with a couple things in, in life and one of them is I have a fascination to research the tension in modern Christian life. As a minister, I'm always exploring what are these tensions between what we read in the Word of God and then uh, what we see uh, lived out in the modern world, especially between the tech-inspired world and a world of biblical standards, and they're very different. Uh, there's a lot of, I'm very pro-technology, I'm not anti-technology, so when I talk about some of these things, no, I'm just pointing to some potential issues. So if you're like, I work in tech, it's like, great, praise God for you, thank you. I'm glad that like, when I go to the ER, they have my medical records, thank you, right? Like, hooray, right? I'm glad we can fly on planes, right? I'm glad that we have the printing press, right? Technology's great. Uh, but there are tensions between the tech-inspired world of biblical standards, and I like to look at uh, the the question of can we live in harmony with those two things? 
And in fact, uh, Megan and I are putting together a podcast called Rest on Mission, really looking at this. I've been right working on this book, talking about is it possible to live really according to a biblical standard in a modern world? Because it isn't easy. Fair? Yeah. Fair? I, I think one of the largest places, and this is why I introduced tech, is one of the largest... I got to bring this closer to my face. Can this go down so I can bring closer to my face? Thank you. Awesome. One of the largest places of divergence, I think, between what I would call our created intent, what you and I were created to be, the, the greatest place of divergence between that created intent and our modern world is really in the area of relationships and community. That's probably one of the greatest separations that we see in the modern world. It's like we see how we were created to be and then how we actually live. And one of the biggest expressions of that is in relationships and it's in community. And a lot of what... Uh, Technology, it, it does, and what we were created to do seems at odds when it comes to relationships and community. Because you and I were actually created for very personal, interpersonal relationships. Did you know that? Like you were created for relationships. And studies show, like scientific studies show that we need them. And then the word of God shows that we need them. So we need relationships and yet, when we look in the Western world, we see a growing deficiency of relationships and of community. And so tech does what it, what it tries to do all the time, and sometimes brilliantly, and sometimes with problems, is that technology exists, and humans invent technology to fill and to fix a problem, right? Right, the, the promise of tech is, hey, there's a problem. We wanna, we wanna fix the problem so that life can be easier, right? It's hard to remember uh, every word of the Bible and commit it all to memory. Well, let's invent the printing press so we can print it and then you can just read it at any time. And then someone's like, hey, let's make the Bible app. And then at any moment, you can have the Bible on in your hands in every version in thousands and thousands of languages. I mean, that's cool. Like, that's a positive thing of technology, right? It's going to see a problem and it's going to seek to fix it. So naturally, technology and humans through technology have sought to solve the problem of relationships through technology. But the reality and the scientific reality and the reality I think we would all, if we're bold enough, admit is that technology is often the cause of the rift in connection and community. That it's actually causing, man, this microphone's driving me, is that just me hearing off the wall? It's driving me crazy. Can you hear, is it just an echo? Am I tripping out? This is so weird. You can't hear this, but I can hear it going like, whoa, off the back wall. And it sounds so, we're fine? Okay, we're fine. All right. Well, I'll just battle through some kind of mental issue I'm having right now. Speaking of technology, it hears me talking about it. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know what would fix this? If we engineered some panels to go on the back with technology, right? <laughs> But oftentimes what's happening in our tech-focused world is we're seeing a, a, a greater disconnect. That's where we're talking about disconnect. And though we're promised ease, we're seeing increasing difficulty. We're seeing that get larger and larger. We're seeing communities feel more separate. And, 
And the hard part is that our inherent need and desire for relationship and connection cannot be made easier through technology, cannot be turned into an app. It, it, relationships cannot be made at the click of a button. They, they, they can't have that level of ease. The, the ability to connect can be made easier, but actual connection relationship does not have a click of the button ease. Relationships are difficult, right? Amen? And they take endurance, amen? If you want a relationship, you have to have endurance. And so if we build something that bypasses that difficulty and that endurance, though it increases ease, it decreases our ability to have friendships. In fact, it makes us really bad at cultivating community. And so as an effect, people are becoming lonelier and lonelier, and communities are becoming fractured and more fractured, even as our digital presence is becoming more catered and more focused and more directed. We're, we're becoming more separated. And there's a lot of attempts to solve this problem, right? I mean, all throughout centuries, there's been attempts to solve this problem of disconnect. And it doesn't matter what generation you're born in here. Maybe it was with social clubs, or maybe uh, you were a hippie who's like, let's move to a commune and see how long that lasts, right? Like, whatever it was, uh, there, there's, there's groups and gatherings and online communities and forums and all kinds of things that seek to solve this problem. One of the guys who I was recently reading was a, was a writer named Andy Young who wrote a book called Life We're Looking For. And he talked about the need for household, that as you look throughout history, what has made strong relationships is household, is what he called it. And he said, it's more than just like having roommates. It's that a group of people from different backgrounds, different age groups will come together under one roof consistently and spend quality time being a part of each other's lives. And I was like, man, we should get some kind of system that does that, like in small groups of mixed people that come together regularly with a commitment to be in a household. That sounds familiar, doesn't it, right? Launch of small groups this week. Here's what's amazing. We've had the answer to relational deficit for thousands of years. It's that Man's search, like mankind's search for relationship and community begins in God and is cultivated in the body of Christ. Our search for relationships and community has always began with God and then is cultivated in the body of Christ. Let, let me explain. Let me go to the beginning. The beginning of Everything, Genesis 1, God creates heaven and earth. Time, light, day, animals, fishies, everything, right? God creates everything. And it says that he creates man and he places man in the garden, right? Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And so he sets Adam in, and he sets Adam, and he begins to give him boundaries. He gives him work, he gives him boundaries. Verse 16 says, The Lord commanded the man, saying, You can eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God forms Adam, he places Adam, a man, in the garden, and he immediately sets boundaries and begins a relationship with God. Right? God begins a relationship with man. The very first act that is a, a participatory act there between man and God is one of relationship. You were created for relationship. 
Yes, even you, oh great introvert, were created for relationships. Yes, even you who thinks people are dumb, you can repent of that later. Half repent, because sometimes we are all a little dumb, right? Right? Have you ever gotten there? You're like, I've spent too much time on the internet. I'm not happy with people, right? Even you, you were created for relationships. Genesis 126 says, God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. God said, let us, meaning the triune God and the heavenly beings who are gathered, God, you know, as a triune God says, let's make man in our image. Now, when he's speaking, when he says, God says, let's make us, he's speaking as the triune God, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. Distinct persons, all God. I know, so complicated. People much smarter than me have been explaining this for thousands of years, right? But the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, said, let's make man to be in our image, in our likeness. Now, that wasn't in uh, uh, skin color, hair color, eye color, shape, or size. That's not likeness. When there, and he explains, let's make him in our likeness, he's explaining mankind's being and their, 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 the nature of their being. And so here's where it gets interesting, is that God is intrinsically relational because he's in relationship with himself. Can you follow me for a second here? Is that okay? Okay, so God is Father, Son, and what? Holy Spirit. There's three there. But he's in relationship with himself, and he's God. So intrinsically to God's nature, he's in relationship with himself. He cannot be a non-relational being. Are you with me? There's a little bit of like um, Bible school here, but it's, it's good. So that means when God says, let's make man to be like us, to reflect our being, what is he saying? Let's make man to mankind, right? To also be intrinsically relational. It's in your being, like more than your DNA. It is, in fact, the very clear way you reflect the image of your creator is that God made you to be in relationship. Is that amazing? And so God creates man, places him in the garden. And look what he says almost immediately, Genesis 2.18. He says this, the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. See, God didn't like create all the things and he's like, oh man, a lot of dudes in the garden. <laughs> we, need, we need some ladies in here. No. God from the beginning understood what he was creating in man, that he was creating him to be relational. And so he made man and then he made woman. See, at the very beginning, there was an establishment where man was created for a relationship with God, but also a relationship with others. He says, how is he going to live this out? Sure, with us, right, with God, but also how is he going to practically, functionally walk that out? Well, with others. Are you with me? You were created for these vertical relationships with God, so to speak, and these horizontal relationships with others. That is, that is core to your being as a person. No matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert or whatever you are in an Enneagram, a 2, 8, 12, I don't know what you are, whatever that, I don't even know what that means. Right? Whatever you are, it doesn't matter. You were created for relationships. 
And though a, the sinful society, right, and the sinful nature of earth uh, distorts and breaks away that relationship from God, Christ comes to restore us into that relationship through his death and resurrection. See, when you are restored back into purpose, it's restoring you into the purpose of being the image bearer of God you were created to be. And part of bearing that image is to be in relationships. And so when Jesus restores us, it's not only that we were meant for relationship with God and relationships with others, we were meant for relationship in Christian community. See, the work that, that Christ does on the cross is to restore us into a mutual relationship with Jesus Christ. And what's amazing is that Jesus even fulfilled this goal in community. Have you thought about that? That like Jesus is the only one who could have done this whole Christian thing alone. Like I'm religious, I like the Lord, but I don't really do church. I don't do things with other people. They're messy, they hurt me. And yet Jesus, knowing what was coming, chose to enter into relationships with others. And he had some messy relationships. I don't know if you've ever had anybody kill you, but that's a messy relationship, right? Turn you over to the government, right? That's a messy relationship, right? Or like you're in your worst moment and someone abandons you and doesn't pretend that might hit home for us a little more. Maybe you have had that, but that's messy. So Jesus could have been the only successful Christian island, potentially, but chose to do life with others. Why? Because it was intrinsic and core to his being as an image bearer of God to live life with other people and even to put up with their crazy messes, turning them into the government, abandoning them in their time of need, cutting other people's ears off, right? I mean, this is a hectic crew of people, right? Awesome, amazing, God, spirit-filled, amazing, except for Judas. <laughs> but messy. But he said, I want to do that work. Why? Because I'm an image bearer of God. And he even said in John 14, he says, listen, you're not, this is not master servant anymore. You're my friends. I've chosen you. I want to be in a relationship with my followers. And church, I, I got to say, this is exciting because as followers, not only are we Christ's friends, but then he forms the church that would be his body, his bride that would live in relationship. See, the church was meant for relationship. We weren't meant for entertainment. Entertainment is easy. Relationships are difficult. But we're the body of Christ. I want to read, read some scripture that kind of sums us up better than I could ever imagine. We're going to go to the word of God here for a chunk of scripture. If you brought your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. I'll read you some scripture. It says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. You still with me? Say amen. 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 If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it le any less part of the body. Did you hear that? It says, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Amen? Yeah. 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I've no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, just, we bestow greater honor. Or unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, right? Which... Our more presentable parts don't require. It says this, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I know it's a huge chunk of scripture, but it's all one thought. So we're reading it all together there. Paul right here is using a really popular motif from his day, which is the, the, the imagery of the body. And what's interesting is in Greek thought, whether it's Plutarch or any of these guys, they, they would use this imagery of the body as, as statesmen to emphasize why the workers needed to stay in line. So they had this image where it was like, the workers are the arms and hands of the body that must keep moving and keep working, mostly because they didn't want them to strike and revolt. And then they said that the royals were like the belly, who, who nourished the body but had to be fed. And so they would put out this imagery, this stately imagery of, of, of in, in Greek life, where the goal was that, you know, the workers would be doing and moving and doing things, and then there was these other glorified parts that would be satisfied by their work. And Paul is saying almost the complete opposite of that. He's taking a story that they know, and it's basically like if I were to walk in now and use the Little Mermaid as an example, you would all know the Little Mermaid. And if I was like, listen, fish are dangerous, you'd be like, what? Right? <laughs> Immediately, you'd be like, no, no, I know what the Little Mermaid is. And he's saying, no, listen, the Little Mermaid is actually a story about a young woman who doesn't have boundaries and won't respect her father and runs away for a man because he's wealthy and good looking right? You'd be like, oh, wait a second, what? <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. I only ever tell you how I feel. I'll keep giving you guys Disney. I love, I have no problem with, like, again, my kids watch Disney movies. I mean, the old ones. Um, <laughs> but there, but there is a clear uh, descriptor. And so Paul is using this descriptive term to teach uh, the, the people something about the body of Christ saying, listen, the body of Christ is different than what you've experienced. Uh, a sense of outsiderness, a sense of others being profoundly better than you, where you're not really sure where you fit or if you even belong. He's teaching something. So here's what Paul's teaching. You ready? This informs how we cultivate community. The first thing is every believer is meant to be a part of the body. Verse 15, he talks about this. Every believer is meant to be part of the body. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. Did you read that? So listen, if someone says, listen, I don't necessarily feel like I'm part of the body because I don't look like and I don't function like another part of the body. He says, you may feel that way, but it doesn't mean you're not part of the body. Every single one of us is part of the body of Christ. Now, your health and your connectiveness into it, that's another issue. 
but you are part of the body of Christ. There does not exist an equation, just to put you at ease this morning, where someone surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, says, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. There is no equation where someone surrenders their life and is not welcomed by him into the body. Every version of Jesus, I give you my life, is followed by being welcomed into the body. Because not, are, not only are you part of the body, you are an important part of the body. See, this is, the, we're, we're gonna rest here for a second. This is, this is good. This is where you might not wanna have your phone out. Is that every part of the body is important. The human body is important. And he uses this example. He's like, the eye can't say we don't need hands. That is something an eye would say. But we do need hands. Bodies are good with hands. When they have hands, they're functioning well. You should want hands. Hands are cool. And so are eyes. And so the pieces of the body shouldn't say to other parts of the body, we don't need you. Because every part is important. Every part of the body is important. Hands are great, but so are lungs, even though you don't see them. Right? Behind the scenes, people, like lungs are great. Provide air to help this thing breathe, right? It's like, well, no one see. I, I feel like I'm more behind the scenes. Let's list all the organs that you don't see and then thank God for them, right? <laughs> right? The ones on the outside may be able to take hits a little better, but the ones on the inside are crucially important. And he even says the ones that we treat with a lot of modesty are some of the most important parts, right? We can all name those parts, and we're thankful for them. And we treat them with respect, amen? <laughs> and what's interesting is Paul is speaking to a culture where some parts are more important than others. But he's saying, listen. All of the parts of the body are important to God. Kingdom culture says your worth in the body is determined by God alone. World culture says we value this, 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 these are greater, and this, 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 these are lower. Kingdom culture says whatever God values, we value, however he values it. However he values, we value. So we all have value, and we all have strength, and God created you with those values and those strengths, those talents, those giftings, those understandings. If you're an extrovert, you're an introvert, the church needs both. We need you. If you're very hospitable, we need you. If you're very evangelistic, we need you, right? Meaning like we all need each other. When I mean we need you, I don't mean like you know, we need you on this team. I just mean like we all need each other to be better together. See, I, I, again, I said I'm a fan of modern technology, but I have some concerns. Because my concern is what technology is teaching us about interacting with other people. Think of it like this. The moment you were born, you started looking for a face. Very first moment when you were born. The first thing that you did, every single one of us, you started looking for a face, looking for somebody. And hopefully that, that face you found was a mom. And then you connected with that face, right? We have, we have babies all over the bat. The very first thing when that baby came out, just had a baby, that baby is looking for, can only see this far in front of its face. It can only really see shapes, but it is looking for your, your face. And then another part because it's hungry, right? 
but your face. Scientifically, we know kids, they're looking, they're looking for you right away. That's why they put the kid like right on mom, looking for mom. And then the kid uh, usually maybe gets handed to dad or uncle or grandpa, right? And looking for the face. Even though they can't really see, they're looking for a face. And as kids grow up, established in our being is this desire to look for the face of other people and then for them to respond. If you have toddlers, you know what I'm talking about. They want you to, to light up when and, and they want to get your attention so that you see them and they know that you see. They want a, a attention and affection. That's within us. That we want a face to see us, to recognize us, to know us, and to pay attention to us right away. We crave that recognition. We crave that attention. And, and that is what fuels us to then enter into relationship. This is just science, okay? That is how we're created. Okay, if you have your phone not out, take your phone out real quick. What's the first thing it does? It lights up. It's looking for your face, right? And not in like a Skynet way. I just mean it was created really, really well. It was designed well. It's like, boop, here I am. Look at you. Oh, face ID, there you are, right? My daughter knows this, right? My, my kids know that my wife's phone is looking for her face, and so they get it, and they say, Mom, and she goes, what? And then they do that, and then they're on the phone, right? Why? Because the phone is looking for a face. And when it recognizes your face, it gives you something that nothing else in creation will give you, undivided attention, your phone gives you, is designed to give you undivided attention. It will give you the exact response you want. Even when you're mad at your phone for not connecting to Wi-Fi, it's still giving you what you want. And not only is it undivided attention, but it's undivided attention catered to you. And that's a problem because, because tech is beautifully engineered to provide you undivided attention. Some of you struggle to get through even a party or a dinner or a hangout where you have to be still and not have attention because that device is always calling from your pocket to open up and just immediate attention because humans do not do that. Humans do not give you what you want all the time. Their face does not always light up when you come near to them. They don't always give you something you can see and control and own and guide and it's more difficult. See, tech pays us undivided attention. It can, can be completely controlled by us and it offers an entirely personalized experience with the promise of ease. And so as a people, can I say one of the issues that we're having with relationships is we live our life in personalized experiences, but relationships are personal experiences and they're different. Tech says, wouldn't it be nice if we just found everyone who looked like you, talked like you, agreed with you? Right? Supported you, liked what you like? Like, wouldn't it be nice if you found everyone who was, you know, smart like you, 
who liked the stylish like you, who thought the music you liked was great and the music you didn't like was stupid, who thought the sports team you liked was amazing and the one you didn't like was, was dumb, or wouldn't that be absolutely amazing, right? This is a personalized experience. Every day you are on your phone, are you with me? That you are getting served a personalized experience. So much so that when, when, I, when I read modern business books, like how do we as companies emulate what social media is doing to entirely personalize human experience towards each person. Are you still with me? Every day, that's a receiving per personalized experience. But can I tell you, that's a far trade-off from the Christian life in which we're called to not say, how do I make it easier? But how am I gonna be the kind of person that handles difficulty in the world? That's what Christianity tells us. How am I going to be the kind of person that endures? How can I engage with somebody different? How can I hear them? How can I make them known? How can I walk through the ups and downs of relationships and maybe potentially offer them a better way of living in Jesus Christ? But culture has us looking for personal experience, personalized experiences and rejecting personal experiences. The problem is you're never going to find your created intent in socially engineered, personalized experiences. Relationships are personal. And so what happens is we start searching for those things, and it makes us feel like an outsider. It, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to stay tied into a moment. If you struggle in social moments to not just pull out your phone, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm one of you, right? Hi, my name is Josh, and I own an iPhone, right? Right? I don't wait in line silently. I'm not a psychopath. Don't you feel like the one weirdo? When you're sitting somewhere, I had a coffee meeting this week, and I was like, I'm not going to have my phone out, and it's just me at Starbucks, 15 minutes, staring into the void, <laughs> right? What am I doing? Of course, of course I'm going to look at my phone. Again, I'm not being anti-technology, but I am saying that it's doing something to us, and we have to admit that. Some of you are itching to pull your phone out right now, and you're like, okay, something's happening, <laughs> See, our goal should be to learn how God made us, to thank him for making this that way and ask him to reveal to us, God, how have you called me to operate within the body to not just search for ease or programmatic ease or functional ease, but say, God, help me to be a person of endurance who can build relationships with other people in a way that is strong and confident and good and not only nourishes my life, but nourishes the life of others. It says, listen, I, I don't, I'm never going to find a personal experience in a personalized tech world. I need to one-on-one, -on -one, not only discover who I am, but I need to begin to enter into relationships with other people. If you felt like an outsider, I simply offer that to say, that might be why. Because you're seeking something personalized. But the body of Christ is a personal thing. The body is best when all parts are supporting each other in relationship. Yeah. Right, what's a healthy human body? When all the parts are functioning right. Yeah. And if you like have a rib out of place, you're not like, well, I guess we're not supposed to have ribs in this body. <laughs> right? You go get adjusted. If you break your ankle, you're not like, see, that's the problem with ankles. I stub your toe, you're like, that's the problem with toes. <sighs> no more toes. That's not our life. 
We go, we got to get healthy. We got to get fixed up. We got to get renewed. And when our toe gets stubbed, we don't go see toes. This is why I don't like toes is because you're always doing this. We don't blame the toe when it's struggling. Right? Sometimes we blame the furniture that caused it. But the body's best when all the parts are supporting each other in relationship. He says in verse 25, if you go back, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, that there may be no division in body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's awesome. That's like a beautiful picture of relationships. It's like, hey, my job is, and this sounds so crazy, to suffer when other people suffer. That's confusing when you're told, listen, the goal is to ease your life and, and, and funnel your life so it's as easy as possible. And so if people are beginning, if they're a drag, if they're just, a, you know, they're, they're a weight, you know, you got to go find better vibes than those people. It's like, what? No, we should suffer together. If your friend is suffering, you're suffering, right? You ever had a good friend who was going through a hardship? You were like, oh, yeah, no, it stinks for him. You're like, yeah, man, this is hard. And then the, the other side is, when my, when my brother has a victory, it's my turn to celebrate too, right? That not only are we people who suffer together, but we're people who rejoice together, that we get excited together when great things happen. That's why Hebrews 10, 24 says, let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but let's encourage one another. Right? Let's encourage one another as the end of days approaches. That sounds like a great relationship. That sounds like a great church. Is that friends who are spending time together and they're suffering together and they're walking through difficulty together, but then they're also celebrating together. And what's beautiful is as you do that, yes, it edifies your life. Yes, you begin to build something that's greater than just a product of modern convenience. As if you could go to a Walmart and pick it off a shelf, or as if you could order it from Amazon. You begin to cultivate something better, and in doing so, you glorify God. Here's what's so cool. Building Christian relationships glorifies God. I know that might sound silly, but like when you build relationships with fellow believers, that's worship. When you do the hard work of building up one another, and it's hard work, right? Amen? right? It glorifies God. And that's the purpose of the body, to glorify God. When Paul charges the believers in Romans 15, he says this, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to glorify God in your life, can I just encourage you? You're like, I, don't, I can't like get away and build a monastery in the hills and I can't save every, just build healthy relationships with believers. It glorifies God. And a church where people are actively working in relationship glorifies God. I don't know if God's very impressed with attendance, but I know he really loves when his children reflect his character through relationship. I know he loves that. But can I be honest? Healthy relationships take commitment. I mean, think about Jesus. Perfect example. I mean, Jesus was perfect. How could you uh, not love Jesus as a friend? I mean, he's like the best possible friend. Take solace if one of your friends have just told you you're not enough for them. That there are some people who thought that of Jesus, which is crazy because he's God. And to think of even the messiness that Jesus had in Judas 
a person so trusted that he, he dealt with all the money they had or didn't have, right? He, he was in charge of that. Turning him in to be killed. Think of Peter, right? Peter is just one of his closest allies and friends who in his moment of need ran from him, right? It, it's work. When Jesus comes to restore Peter, that's work that pulls on your heart. It takes commitment. It's worth, it's work worth doing, but it takes commitment. We have to really contend for healthy relationships. Healthy relationships do not happen by accident. They happen by commitment. They happen by being connected and committed together, but it's worth it. So I just want to give you real quick, so close it, a couple ways. How do we cultivate healthy relationships and community then? You ready? Very first thing. Be generous with grace. Be generous with grace. Jesus' relationship with us, follow me here, is 100% based on grace. There is not a part of your relationship with him that is not based on grace. The reason you have relationship with him is because he loved you and gave you grace. Right? Colossians 3.13 says, make allowances, look at this, for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let me break off some cultural misnomers. Oh, I forgive you, but I'm not going to spend any time with you. Just take the things you say and apply it to your relationship with Jesus and ask if that's healthy. I forgive you, but I'm not going to be around you anymore. I forgive you, but I'm just done with you. I forgive you, but I'm not going to give you any of my time. Now, I'm not anti-boundaries here. Don't get into toxic, abusive relationships. Say, Pastor Josh said we had to. It's not what I'm saying. Use your mind. But let's talk about the average friendship. I forgive you, but we're just so different. I forgive you, but I just, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Isn't that funny how we say, I forgive you, and then we basically say immediately after, but I didn't actually forgive you? See, grace means that we forgive. And forgiveness cannot continue to hold on to offense. If you want friends, stop being offended and stop being offended quickly. What's up, little man? How are you doing? Yeah? You having a good time? Seems like you're having fun. What's your name? Yeah, you seem fast. Are you fast? No, you can show me after. Okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I like it. I like it. Okay, can you give me, what do you think, like five minutes? You got five? He seems excited about something. They're going to party later. <laughs> something about Just start throwing out things. He's quick. He's fast. I'm glad you're here, buddy. You have to be quick to let go of offense. Amen? If you want friends, you got to be quick to let it go, and you have to actually let it go. Not Elsa let it go, where you get mad and you go live out in the woods by yourself. Real let it go right? The real Jesus let it go, where you say, I forgive you, and you actually do. Nobody's going to offend you like your friends. Be prepared. It's like your spouse, your family, and your friends, they line up in order of ability to offend you. Nobody can offend you like the people whom you love. But guess what? That's part of life. Suck it up. 
And I say that kind of tongue in cheek because we all have offended, we all get offended, but we have all grievously offended God with our sin and he has completely and totally forgiven us. And he didn't just bring us back like near, like listen Josh, I forgive you, but I can't really trust you anymore. So you need to sit on the steps of heaven and get the scraps. That's just the tough love that you need right now. Gosh, tough love people. God have mercy. What does he say? He says, you're a co-heir with Christ. You've offended God. You're an enemy with God. And he says, listen, I forgive you, but now that I forgive you, you're now a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Amazing. Be generous with grace. Don't write people off. Bring them near. Like, well, what if they hurt me again? What if you hurt Jesus again? What do you want him to do? You want him to bring you near? Bring him near. Now, if they're abusive, if they're hurtful, if they're violating the principles of God, have boundaries. But if it's just simple human error, like you thought something or they said something, forgive them, bring them near. Well, they didn't give me the response I want. Thank goodness Jesus doesn't use that criteria either. Did they say sorry? Did they seek forgiveness? Have you come to them with forgiveness? Yes, then forgive them. Be brothers and sisters. Be generous with grace. You, you have so much to give. Second thing is love intentionally. Love intentionally. To cultivate healthy relationships, you've got to be intentional. If you were to cultivate a field, you'd pay attention to the season. You'd pick a time. You'd focus your intent. You'd be flexible where you need, but you would very carefully nurture. The same thing is true in community. How am I using my time? Where am I putting my energy? Am I approaching people intentionally with the love of Christ or just openings in my schedule? Sometimes people won't fill your schedule until you've filled their heart. Well, I really want to spend time with them, but they don't know your heart yet. And we don't all feel super open just giving pieces of our heart to random people until they've shown us, maybe in a small group or on a Sunday, or maybe they like help us move. They've shown us, I love you, I care for you. And we say, okay, let's enter in. John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you kind of take stock of your relationship with Christ, you say, what, what are people gonna see? Are they gonna see intentionality or maybe some laziness or compassion or maybe some gossip or some care or some joy? What will they see? And the hope is that they will see someone who loves others well and intentionally. If you have rough edges, sharpen the other ones. Like, I'm not good on the fly, then be prepared. I'm really hospitable, but I don't like to go out. There's things you can do. I encourage you, love intention. And I promise you, intentional love will spark relationships. All right, I got two more things. Just do with me real quick. These are going to be real fast. Become fluent in encouragement. Don't you love being around encouraging people? Right? I've noticed people who are encouragers always have friends. Right? People who, when others get around them, they feel better. They're like, wow, that was very encouraging. They always have friends. Now, there's many reasons someone can have followers, but people who have friends, I think, are great encouragers, where they come around people and they support and they encourage them. First Thessalonians 5 says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. Can I just encourage you today? If you speak the language of life into others, if you speak life into other people, you'll have friends. 
I firmly believe that. If you're like, I've been doing that and I don't have any friends, come talk with me and I would love to just talk through how maybe you're doing that. Let's talk about that because I've noticed people who are great encouragers find ways to have friends. So maybe it's just a, 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 a change in language that might need to be occurring or a change in approach and that's part of learning. But I want to encourage you, become fluent in encouragement. And finally, and Ben, you guys can come up, seek the Holy Spirit. Man, it's hard. Man, it's hard to have any relationship without the Holy Spirit. I don't know how people stay married without the Holy Spirit, right? My wife has to talk to the Holy Spirit about me constantly. <laughs> and I thank the Holy Spirit for her all the time. I'm like, thank you, Lord, that she puts up with all this. Give her the fruit of patience. Galatians 5.22, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that sound like a good friend? Do you want friends who are loving, who are joyful? Don't you want to be the kind of friend who's peaceful and patient? You want to be the kind of friend who's kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled? Man, that's a great recipe. But we have to cultivate it in the Holy Spirit. See, we're not ever going to get it programmed. We're not ever going to get it personalized. We have to cultivate it with the Spirit. We have to seek the Holy Spirit to be healed. And then we have to seek restoration for the places where maybe we've been hurt or harmed in relationship. And then we have to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you in my new relationships. I'm going to trust you in what you're doing. We have to cultivate it. And I know it can be tough. I know some of you are coming in today into this community and you've been harmed before in community. But I really believe that the Holy Spirit can bring healing to that. I believe that the Holy Spirit can bring healing in Jesus' name to those areas of hurt and to pain, that he can bring restoration. So this morning, I want to do something there. Would you stand with me? Would you, as you're standing, would you just bow your head and close your eyes? pray something specific and then I'm going to have our I'm going to have our team our prayer team up here gathered up front but I'm going to pray something really specific today because we're going to intercede together we've been having a great time of praying and believing God for more but I want to start right where you're at with your heart If you're here with our eyes closed and our head bowed and you would say, man, I'm believing God for more and I want community, but there's some hurt in my heart, in my life from relationships. There's some hurt there. And you're saying, you know what, today I need to begin by giving that fully and completely to God and forgiving that hurt and releasing that pain and receiving the renewal of the Holy Spirit right now. There's things that I've been carrying, bitterness or offenses. There's difficulties, frustrations. There's things that have been said to me. There's people even in this room 
who it's like, I, I, I know they've moved on. They said something, maybe it didn't even matter to them and they moved on, but I just, I still harbor it and it affects my relationships. And this morning, I just need to release it all and to forgive completely and to begin just cultivating community in my life and in my heart more than ever before. If that's you, I wanna pray for you this morning. If you would say, yes, Holy Spirit, just I give you all of that hurt. I lay it at your feet, Jesus, and I just say, it's yours. Would you take it? I ask to, to forgive the places where I'm holding on, to be released from them in Jesus' name, and I ask you to work upon my life right now. If that's you, would you just lift your hands? Jesus, I need you right now. Holy Spirit, I release it to you. There's things in your life, your relationship, your heart. I want to pray for you right now. God, I pray right now. Holy Spirit, move upon these lives right now. Holy Spirit, move right now. There's pain in your heart. I just pray it released right now if that's you. I'm going to ask again. If there are damages in your heart from community. You're distracted. Pay attention right now. I just call your heart into alignment by the Holy Spirit right now. If you're focusing on anything but what he wants to say to you, I just call your heart into attention to him right now. We reject distraction in the name of Jesus and we declare the authority of the most high God right now. If you work for me, thanks guys. I need you to pay attention right now in the name of Jesus. There are things, there's hurt, there's words, there's experiences that God wants to release from you right now by the Holy Spirit right now over your life. You've been carrying them even for decades, but God wants to release. They come up, they're triggered by things that make it difficult to enter into experiences with him, but he wants to release them right now. I can sense the resistance to that, almost like they're part of your identity. And it's okay if they're part of your story, but they don't need to be part of your identity. God is releasing them and wants to release them right now in the name of Jesus. So I just want to say, if that's you, lift your hands, no elbow bends, lift them to the Lord and say, Jesus, I need to give it to you right now. I got words, I got things that was spoken over me. I have relationship pain. I have church hurt. Help me to forgive the church even right now in this moment. We release it to you and I pray in your name, Holy Spirit, that you would move upon lives right now and you would touch their hearts, and that there would be an absolute and complete release from the pain of relational hurt, God, from the pain of things that have been said and done, that there would be healing so that there can be cultivating new relationships. There can be forming new relationships. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, complete and total healing by your power over these lives, God. And I pray right now that that would be a catalyst for the beginning of relationships, God, whether it's been put on them, done to them, God, I pray that right now it is so released that they would enter into the place of saying, Jesus, I long to press into community. I long to cultivate relationships. So we pray, and I pray right now, break the shackles of what's held. Break the things of old of what's held right now in the name of Jesus. 
Here's what I'm going to do this morning. Our band's going to lead us. I like this song, nothing else. I love for the band to lead us in this song one more time. And as we do, I'm just going to invite our prayer team. That's Candy and a couple people. If you guys would come forward, I'm going to invite us as we worship. If there's anything you need prayer for, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's community, or maybe it's just health, healing. Maybe you had a hard week. You're like, it has nothing to do with relationships. Let's just spend some time in relationship praying together. Can we do that? Let's worship. Man, would you lead us? And I just release you to come and receive prayer in the name of Jesus right now. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.